Well, amen. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be beginning chapter 12 today in our exposition through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And let's just be reminded that this is a, a letter that was meant to be read in its entirety to a specific congregation or congregations that were worshiping in Corinth. And this church had many issues. We've been talking about it. They had both good things and bad things. And so the things that were good needed to be encouraged. The things that were bad needed to be corrected. And amen, as we've worked through this, we realize that we are sitting right along beside of them. And so nothing quite stirs us up than the topic of spiritual gifts. And, uh, and so before I even read the scripture, I want us to pray together. Lord, our, our Bibles are opened. This being an expression of our faith, we do not have the answers to the issues in our life, to the questions we have regarding this subject, God. So, our God and our Lord, we ask you, the Holy Spirit, to set on us Illumine your word, God, through the power of the Spirit to us. That we may not quibble with the non-essentials, but we may be united in the fact that you saved us. You have adopted us, and you've never lost a child yet. We are united by the fact that you slaughtered your son so that we could be in your family and so we will be forever and to this God this is our starting part today thank you God that you delivered us from our sins and adopted us into your family and you have given us your grace to this we are thankful in Jesus name amen 1 Corinthians 12, we're looking at the first 11 verses of this chapter, so stand with me to our feet as we read God's Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word. Be seated. And so the question that Paul is dealing with for the local church in Corinth is he's getting to this issue, what defines you today? If I had a conversation with you and it went on more than the 30-second the little morning, how you doing, I'm doing good, hope you're doing good, hope you had a good week, hope you had a good week too. If you get it past that, we're going to begin to tell each other what defines us. I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a grandmom, a granddad, I'm a machinist or a banker or a salesman or whatever it is. See, what is happening in the local church here is their spiritual gifts have begun to define them. There's this little twangy thing going on. Is anybody else here besides me? 
Thank you. I just had to say that out loud. It was in there. If I didn't get it out, it was going to keep bouncing around inside of my head. So it's probably something to do with the heater or something. So what was going on here is especially, and sidebar, this is not a three-week sermon on spiritual gifts. I'm preaching through a book of the Bible, and the problem going on in the church here was a problem with the abuse of gifts, especially speaking in tongues. That was what's going on. That's the issue in chapter 14. He's going to deal with it, and so we're going to talk about it. And so what happened is these people, especially with the gift of tongues, had begun to think of they are being hyper-spiritual precisely because they had these gifts and you didn't. So Paul wants to address it. So I want us to start. So what the purpose of this message may be anticlimactic for you if, because we all come in with our own questions over this issue and, and you've, been, you've heard spiritual gifts and seen them acted out very poorly and very well and they both affected you. You've got questions. I'm not going to answer all the questions today. I want us to pull back those questions for a minute and let's look at God's Word. But I do want you to understand our working definition of spiritual gift. It should be in your notes. These notes right here, these notes you, ha- you should have. If not, please get one. You need to keep this in your Bible for the next two to three weeks as we look at this because there's some things on here that we're going to go back to when we get to chapter 14. One is this definition. What is a spiritual gift? Wayne Grudem defines it this way. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So right away you begin to see, let's start on the same page with our definition of what words mean. This is a broader definition than some would like to hold to. This is what we believe we see not only In the life of the church, but in Scripture, uh, Wayne Grudem continues after giving the definition. The broad definition includes both gifts that are related to natural abilities, such as teaching, showing mercy, or administration, and gifts that seem to be more, quote, miraculous and less related to the natural abilities, such as prophecy, healing, and distinguishing between spirits. It is intentionally a broad definition to say any ability that that the Holy Spirit empowers for the good of His church is a spiritual gift. It is a gift of His grace. So with that, I know questions. We have talked about the questions that are going on in your mind right now. We've talked about them both as growth group leaders and as pastors. What is my gift? What about those tongues? You know, what about healing and prophecy? What about that stuff I see on TV? What is that? What we want to do is, before we can answer our own particular questions, is let's begin to answer and ask and answer the questions that the Corinthian church had. I want you to see some key principles here at the beginning. These principles are critical. They'll become more evident as the sermon unfolds. I want to give you some principles. The first three are more vertical. The last three are more horizontal. First, when you begin to study Spiritual gifts, we have to understand God's Word gives us some whole word, gives us some principles that we dare not violate. God's Word is authoritative, sufficient, and preeminent. The Lordship of Christ is over. Didn't have quite enough room on your notes to put everything I wanted to. The Lordship of Christ is over. Listen, both the gift, the Lordship of Christ is over the recipient of the gift and the effect of that gift that it has on those that we serve. The Lordship of Christ is over all of that. We have to understand and be united in the essential work of the Holy Spirit as it relates to spiritual gift. And as it bleeds out into the way we apply and live and serve, the canon of Scripture, brothers and sisters, is closed. It's closed. God's Word is spoken, and we do not need to, try to, or dare to add to it. We simply live by it. It's closed. So there's no apostle scribing down Holy Script now. But listen, there is a Holy Spirit that tells you to stop on the side of the road and go over there and talk to that person and you dare not disobey it. The Holy Spirit directs us towards the application of that which Scripture commands of us. We do both of that without dare 
saying we are adding to Scripture. The canon of Scripture is closed. Chapter 14 will teach us this next one. Corporate worship must be practiced decently and in order. And last and most important in the message today, spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ. Put into parentheses, not you. Building up of the body of Christ. So think about that. Let's love God with our minds today. What are you a part of? The body of Christ. These principles we must be united in. They are essential. And so this week I'm just going to lay some baseline understandings of, of what Scripture is dealing with here in this text. Next week we're going to see how the, end of, the interdependent nature of our gifts, that we are one body functioning together. Chapter 13, we often use it, weddings and all kinds of different things. Chapter 13 on love is, con- is the context, is the love within your spiritual gifts as you corporately worship in the local church. And then chapter 14, we will define the gifts. We're not going to define them this morning. We're going to define the gifts. We're going to talk about how we deal with abuse of those gifts. And then how we worship together corporately. The main idea, the Holy Spirit graciously gives gifts to each individual in the body of Christ for the common good. Two parts of that this morning. First is the first part. The Holy Spirit graciously gives gifts to each individual in the body. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans... You were led astray to mute idols, however you are led. Now, remember, he's already dealt with their paganism, that the fact that what they were really being led by was the demonic. And so, look at your notes, the sub-point number one there. It says, are you spiritual people or spirit-filled people? Are you a spiritual people or are you spirit-filled people? Literally, I think sometimes we miss it because... We're simply reading in our text. You see the word there at the beginning, now concerning spiritual gifts. In the original language, gifts is not there. It is added there for your clarity to understand the context. In reality, it says now concerning the spiritual. And I won't tell you how many books are written and pages are written, whether that's actually supposed to be spiritual people or spiritual gifts, but there was quite enough to be said. He's really connecting the two. You see, when they were pagans... They also had a spiritual experience. There is pagan spirituality. Now try to say spirituality three times really fast. I was concerned that I had it too much down in my text. And once I said it maybe rightly one time, I wouldn't be able to say it good again. But there was. He's reminded him, remember when you were pagans, you were led. You were led. He doesn't want them to be, look at the word, uninformed. I'm going to go some, a place at the end of the sermon. He's sitting going, I don't even know why he brought that up. I wasn't even thinking about that. Here's the problem. You could be uninformed in regard of spiritual gifts. And you are prey to the wolves. And you can merely watch TV to see them fall and pray to it. We don't want to be uninformed. And so he's telling the whole church, not just the ones that had the issues. Not the ones that were just the ones that were abusing the gifts, but the whole church. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand that when you were pagans, you had a form of spirituality. Oh, you had an experience, but you did not have one that honored Christ. He wants them to have, in the first couple verses, a spirit-filled spirituality. One that is informed, submitted to, and led by the Holy Spirit. You see, you are either being led by the Holy Spirit or the devil, and there is no middle ground. He's concerned while they are making such a big deal over their spiritual gift, like, like they had anything to do with it. He's saying, you need to remember, there was a promise of the Holy Spirit. The reason you have a gift is because God's promises were fulfilled. Do you remember them? Turn with me to John. John 15. John 15. It's a new dynamic to get, to get used to. I don't... You probably don't pay much attention to it, but 
You know, 10 years ago, everybody flipped their Bibles. You could hear all the pages rustling. Now people have their computers, and you're sitting there going, are they turning to it? Yeah, they are. They're just pulling it up on their iPads or something, their phones. John 15. Look with me at verse 26. But when the Helper, capital H, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, Turn back with me one page in your Bible or a page or two to chapter 14 and look at verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? In you. This is the promise. That you will not simply be a spiritual people, but you will be a spirit-filled people. God in us. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came just as was promised. Paul has already leaned into this issue of spiritual knowledge versus worldly knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. He's already said this to, this, to the church. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. How does the spiritual person know that this is true? Says the Holy Spirit. Teaches him that it's true. He bears witness with it. And so because we are, they are spirit-filled people led by the Spirit. Look at the next Subpoint there, spirit-filled people submit to the lordship of Christ. This is critical in the discussion of spiritual gifts. This is baseline stuff this morning. Look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is what a big deal, brothers and sisters. Even as I personally studied through Revelation, the context of Revelation was a church that was being commanded of a penalty of death to say Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. This is the issue that all of our life, be it spiritual gifts or whatever it may be, is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us how important this is. This is questions you ask of yourself and of other people to see, in fact, if they are true, truly born again. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. This issue of the perversion of that which God has given us is corrected first and foremost by understanding we are spirit-filled people that are submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Micah's already got there, but let's make sure we didn't miss what he said this morning. Honoring Christ is the baseline for Christian worship. If you lose it, you may be gathered and you may be singing, but you are not worshiping Jesus Christ. It is baseline. It is baseline to understand. Remember Romans 10, 9? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart He's raised from the dead, you will be saved. And if you don't, you are not saved. Lordship is essential for salvation. And it is essential to live out the Christian life and our spiritual gifts and not in our own strength. The Spirit-filled people are submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and Spirit-filled people are united by their diversity. I love verses 4 to 7. It's my favorite place in this passage. Yeah, I think it's just so practically helpful. Look at verses 4 to 6. God's Word is meant, by the way, to be read very slowly and intentionally. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit... And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So just look at that text in your Bible 
Somebody tell me, this is the interactive part of the worship service. What's the repeated word there? You see it? What is it? Varieties. That's right. There's a variety. We're not all the same. We don't look the same. Some of us don't smell the same. We don't function the same. When it comes to God's Spirit working in and out of us, it does not work out of us and in us the same. We are diverse. There are varieties of spiritual gifts first. You see that? That simply means grace gifts. They are gifts of His grace. I love that intentional redundancy. I love to be redundant myself, and sometimes I get made fun of, but it's, hey, the Bible is too. Just to make sure that you understand that gift is grace, it's grace gifts. These spiritual gifts are gifts of His grace. God work of grace in the lives of His people. Sorry, this is probably a bad illustration, but it's just because it's been Valentine's Day. Did anybody have those Valentine's Day little Debbies? Anybody have any of those little Debbies, little hearts? Oh, my goodness, yeah, they were everywhere. Yeah, 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 I'm telling you, I, we got some at the house, too. They're put up on the thing. Kids think they're blown to them. I believe it becomes corporate property once it comes into the house. But I, I Googled it. How many different varieties of little Debbie cakes are there? It's a little trivia for you. I actually had a hard time getting people to agree on it. But the one place I found was there was something around 80. So if I had one of each this morning, or even a couple of each, and I put them in this big container, and we mixed them all up, and I begin to hand them to you, would everybody have the same one? No. The problem is, we think we get to pick which one we want to pull out. Here's the text today. God gives you what He wants to give you. And you have it in your hand because He gave it to you. And if you have it in your hand today, it's grace. That's, that's the issue, brothers and sisters. Not to get hung up on, I just want to know the answer about this. But to say, did you get that this morning? That you have in your hand, and in your life, metaphorically, your little Debbie cake. Because of His grace. Not to say, look at mine, I got a nutty buddy and you just got an oatmeal pie. You know, you think that's awful silly, but that's what the church is squibbling over. Which one is best? He says, you know, there are varieties of grace gifts. And there's varieties of service. Look at verse 5. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So let me just try to illustrate this for sake of time today. Let's use the gift of generosity. The gift of generosity. Let's suppose, I know I'm making you think today. Let's suppose that generosity was a person. It's not just a gift, it's a person. Would the person of generosity always be a banker? Right? You think about giving, you think of what? Someone who gives financially to help other people. Right? That's what most of us think. He's got the gift of generosity. He's going to be generous with his finances. That's like saying that if generosity was a person, he'd always be a banker. But he's not always a banker, is he? Sometimes he's a mama. He's a mama. Sometimes generosity is a mama. Or a dad. Or a carpenter. Or a counselor. You see, being generous is using what you have in the lives of someone else. We have a gift, but that gift is a deaconing. That's what that word means. It's a serving. It works itself. It's given to you by His grace, and it works itself out in the way you use it. And the way you use it is just as diverse as the gifts among us are. One person may have the gift of giving. It may work itself out in acts of service in all kinds of different ways. This is why it is dangerous, brothers and sisters, to try to pin your spiritual gifts down to nine different things or 19 different things. That's why we are taking our understanding as a spiritual gift as any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church because the text is telling us they are a variety of gifts and even when they work themselves out into the actual service, they don't look the same. They're different in our life. You can have two people with gifts of giving 
And one comes out more financially, and one more comes out versus the time and effort that they give. We see that serving itself, listen, it's important in life of the church. The serving itself is a gift, not just a gift. The gift is meant to be used. And there's just this varieties, but not, he's, he's not stopped there. Look at verse 6. He also says there is a variety of activities. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. I love the NASB there. If you've got that translation, it actually says effect. There are a varieties of effects. Now, I'll just use an example again. You have a gift. You have the service of the gift. You have the effect of the gift. So let's take mercy. You have been given by God's grace the gift that you have in your hand, that you've been handed, is mercy. The service of that gift, let's say it works its way out in volunteer at the local hospice. That's where you work out. That's where that gift of mercy flows out. Here's what the text is saying. The effect of that gift is spirit-given. Spirit-caused. What's the effect of volunteering at the local hospice? You bring comfort to those who are suffering and to their families. You see that? The gift is given, the work is given, and the effect is given. And they all have their own distinct and diverse ways of working themselves out. And it's all from God. Now don't miss this about this text though. Look at verses 4 to 6 again. I want to read it, see if you pick up on it. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in all and everyone. Do you see it? The unity of our diversity is the unity that is found in the Trinity. Our diversity in the way we express our gifts is fundamentally rooted in the Godhead. One Lord, one God, one Spirit. This is the Trinity at work in your life, brothers and sisters. When it gives you a gift, gives you a place to serve that gift out, and produces the effect that that gift gives you. This is grace. This is what it means to be part of a family, the very body of Christ. The diversity and unity coexist in the Trinity, in your marriage, and in God's church. So we see we have to pause here at this point. And ask yourself the question, am I ignorant, am I unaware of the devil's devices? I just think it's amazing that something so wonderful as what we are reading causes such division in the body of Christ. But it does. It is right now in the church of Corinth. That's why we're studying it. And it oftentimes causes divisions because of two things. Ignorance or abuse. We've already alluded to that, hadn't we? People are unaware that false teachers use this to bilk people of millions of dollars. As it were, if you remember the example of a poor lady who put her last penny into a religious system that made itself wealthy while she starved to death. The danger of not being aware this morning, is we fall prey to the devil's devices and we begin to bicker like toddlers over non-essential issues. The temptation to elevate one gift over another gift or to simply become self-centered in your gift's expression like that gift has anything to do with you building up yourself. This, when this happens, brothers and sisters, the church is divided and not unified. So we need to understand the second half of your main idea. The Holy Spirit graciously gives gifts to the individual in the body of Christ. Listen, for the common good. For the common good. The common good, brothers and sisters, look at your first sub-point under there, is the common goal. Verse 7 is the linchpin to Paul's whole argument. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice it is individually and uniquely given. They're given, it's given to each person. 
That's what that means. That word given is passive verb form. It means the gift is really a gift. <laughs> you, didn't gift the give, you didn't get the gift yourself. You didn't choose it out of the bucket. It was given to you. That's what that word means. That each one of us is given one too. He didn't skip you. Right? You get through and everybody's got a little Debbie cake and you're sitting there going, I didn't get one. I didn't get one. No, no. That's not the way like God can make a mistake. To each is given. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, says it this way. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. You see that? That's why our principles on the first page, spiritual gifts are non-negotiable, are given to the body for the building up of the body of Christ. Gifts are described, look at the text now, verse 7, as the manifestation of the, of the Spirit, a manifestation, a disclosure, a revelation to make plain. That's what that word means, of the Spirit. So the gifts, notice this, it's not the manifestation of the self, right? You're not given a gift so that a teacher can stand up and say, listen to me, I have a lot to say. Or look how good I can sing or play. Or look how much money I can give. I want you to name your family life center after me. That's not the purpose. Your spiritual gift, listen to me today. If you miss one thing, don't you miss this. Your spiritual gift is given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit to put Jesus Christ on visible display for all the world to see, especially in the body of Christ. That's why you have your gift. We are given it. Look, it is a manifestation of the Spirit in your life. That's what it is at the very foundational level. It is simply God putting Himself display in practical and even supernatural ways in your life. It has a one purpose. And that purpose is communal. It's not individual. It is communal. It is for the good of the body of Christ. And you tell me, brothers and sisters, help me understand how you cannot be part of a body of Christ in this work. You see, this is like your eyes. Your eyes are given to you. The eyes get the power for vision. Not for the benefit of itself, but for the benefit of the whole body it helps. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Holy Spirit has given gifts to all by the same Spirit. Look at verses 8 to 11. Now this is where I'm, I'm going to go a little teacher here in just a second and I promise you we're going to come back to verses 8 to 11 and look at them again in a couple weeks, but I want you to see the main thing is the main thing. Verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And on and on it goes. Do you see the main point of verses 8 to 11? Is it the gifts themselves? It's not. It's the fact that there is the same Spirit in all of them. In the giving. In the working out. And the effect it produces in other people's life. The same Spirit is manifesting itself distinctly and in diverse ways in the life and body of the church of Jesus Christ. And we can see their varieties. Listen, these varieties are not meant to be exhaustive, but representative of their diversity. You have, so to speak, and some people put them together like this, wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing and miracles, prophecy and discernment, tongues or language. That word actually means language too. Language and their meanings. He's simply pointing out the fact here that in all of their diversities, it's the same Spirit that gives them in diverse ways to the church of Jesus Christ. Turn with me. I want you to see the diversity still on display in Romans 12. I also want you to know it's not the same list. <laughs> Just while we're defining spiritual gifts the way we are. Romans 12 verse 6. 
He says, having gifts. Now, remember, Paul's it's the same guy writing Romans is writing 1 Corinthians. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with his zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Do you see it? It's the same point. These are gifts. Look at how diverse they are. You've got a teacher and a servant. Someone who serves. You've got someone who, who prophesies and you've got someone who is generous. They are diverse. The point is, they're given to you by God, by His grace, and we are supposed to use them for the building up of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is baseline to everything else. We don't understand that. We will miss the point. And we're going to define these in chapter 14 and then talk about how to keep from them being abused. But I want you to understand something, so I'm going to go a little teacher here for a minute. And listen, if this doesn't mean anything to you, just figure out where you're going to eat for lunch for about five minutes, okay? But this is important. I just want to give you some categories, because whether you know it or not, these categories are affecting the way you see spiritual gifts and how they work out. These categories, in some degrees, have led to one extreme or another. I just simply want you to know that they are here. I'm not going to comment on them. I don't want to be critical on the first one especially, but I want to be especially clear on this first one. The one category that affects how you are seeing spiritual gifts today and how the people you engage in spiritual gift is Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism. And I'm simply going to read two statements. One is from the Dictionary of Christianity in America. It's not my opinion. This is, and this was the same across the board even from Pentecostals' own statement of faith, which I will read. Quote, Pentecostalism is a 20th century Christian movement emphasizing a post-conversion experience of spirit baptism, baptism evidenced by speaking in tongues. The Pentecostal Fellowship of North America's statement of faith says, quote, we believe that the full gospel includes holiness of heart and life, healing for the body, and baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Pentecostalism is new. It is, it's began in the early 1900s, and it has spread like wildfire, and it affects how you see spiritual gifts. I simply want you to understand that in the West, it is a dominant category in the way you begin thinking about the questions when you read the text. And it makes you incredibly hard to read the text in its local context, and not in ours. Pentecostals believe that the Holy Spirit must be evidenced in our lives with, by speaking in tongues. They, that, they get this from the Pentecost, where they believe that what's happening in Pentecost must still happen that way today in the life of every single believer. The extreme offshoots from this is the word of faith and faith healers, the prosperity gospel, whereby people command Jesus to do things and the Holy Spirit evidences itself by making people laugh and roll around in the floor and do all kinds of aberrant things. That is here. It is what you see on TV. It affects the way you think. And listen to me very clearly. If Orthodox Christianity is a circle, when you begin to buy into these movements, you're putting yourself on the peripheral of Orthodox Christianity. And the word of faith and the prosperity gospel has stepped outside of Orthodoxy. It is heresy, and it must be treated as such. I'm telling you this as your pastor and as your elder to protect you from being abused by those who would rob you of your last $10 to build their mansion. Okay, we need to say it for what it is. I am not saying that every Pentecostal believe this. I am simply telling you to go back to what they believe. And what they believe is contrary to what God's Word says. Before I move on, not every charismatic is a Pentecostal. Because brothers and sisters, as you'll hear in a couple weeks, there's some people that think that we're charismatic. Okay, that's a good word, by the way. <laughs> Don't let people hijack our words. It's a good word. It's an original Greek. I want you to understand first three camps. The first one is Pentecostalism. And I put that one with a warning. Did you get that warning? Warning. Be careful. The second two are inside that circle. 
Okay? They're inside the circle. It's called the cessationist view. So let me just tell you what this view is. Whether you know it or not, the people you listen to believe most likely one of these two things. God no longer gives to people the gift of like prophecy, healing, miracles, and tongues. These were sign gifts and revelatory gifts used to establish the church. But once scripture was formed and the apostles died, these gifts ceased. Now, let's don't misstate their position. They're not saying that God does not still do miracles and healings. They, they absolutely believe that. God uses, as we proclaim his word, as we come to him in prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit heals, does miracles, accomplishes his purpose. The difference here, and this is important, this is why I'm teaching this today. The difference is they no longer believe that God gives the specific gift to individuals to accomplish those things. Okay, you see the difference? He's not saying that the Holy Spirit does not do it. They, they believe that the Holy Spirit does it according to His will as we obey Scripture, as we pray, and as we proclaim the truth. But the other camp, inside orthodoxy that affects all of us, is the continuationist view. And they believe that all gifts are still active. They're given to people who are his instruments, but that all gifts must be practiced, listen, under the authority of God's word for the building up of God's people and practiced decently and in order. Okay? Those are the three camps. Listen, here's what I want you to say. Turn, turn back to your page and look at the front sheet. I'm trying to help you today. <laughs> the reason why I'm doing this. On the front of your notes, you see these six principles. Both the cessationist view and the continuationist view believes these six principles. Matter of fact, they, are, they vigorously try to uphold those principles. That's what they, why they believe what they believe. That's why we believe what we believe, brothers and sisters. In other words, as the German Lutheran theologian says, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things charity. When it comes to these two views, and as we discuss them over the next two weeks, there is no use for us quibbling over our differences, but make sure that we are united over the essentials. And what I am warning you this morning is there, there are offshoots and even belief systems that function on the peripheral of these non-negotiables and step over them. And when they do, they must be avoided. Besides that, brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to include. I want you to enjoy. If you come here, I hope you know that. I want you to enjoy studying your Bible. That's why we do growth group the way we do. I want you to enjoy studying your Bible. I want you to know Him. I don't want you to be afraid this morning to pray for things that we need. Don't miss the point this morning. Please don't miss the point. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one Spirit and the same Spirit who apportions to each one according, to he will, according as He wills. And so I have just left teaching, and now I am back to preaching. Okay? Don't miss the point. It is the same Spirit, and He gives us according to what He wills. Now turn with me to Ephesians, and I'm going to so what? I'm done, I promise. Ephesians 4. Look at verse 11 and 12. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So your spiritual gift. Now look at that text. Look at verse 12. God's given you gifts to do what? Remember? Varieties of gifts, varieties of works, varieties of effects. He's given you a gift to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And he has called the, those with teaching gifts to equip you to do just that. That's why I took the approach I have taken this morning. I want to equip you to not be unaware, to not fall prey, but to not be afraid to pray. Question today for us. Am I using my gift or my gifts to build up God's church. Is your gift under the Lordship of Christ? If it is, how are you using it? How are you using? 
Are you like the man who was given a talent and went and buried it in the ground? Or are you the one that says, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use what I have. Whether it's one talent or three or twenty. I want you to see something very simple. And I hope this will just simplify it for you this morning. No matter what's in your mind. First Peter. I love the distinction, if you study God's word, between Peter and Paul. You ever notice sometimes I have to preach a text from Paul and I'm going, oh, Paul's doing all those circular arguments again. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to preach that. He'll go around and around, he's, but he's, it's just the way he thinks. It comes out in the way he teaches. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Look at what he says. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks of the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strengths that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I say to Peter, I say, I love Peter. So what has he just told us here? He said, listen, there's two categories of spiritual gifts. One is serving gifts and one is teaching gifts. Start doing it. Don't you just love that? Just God gives you the power. Start serving. So you're going, I don't know what my gift is. Look at what Peter says. You either got a gift toward serving or a gift toward teaching. Use it. Start. Pick up a broom. Pick up a ministry somewhere it is. We had this conversation this morning. Can we, can we break the 80-20 rule? In church, don't you get tired of hearing that? 20% of of the people do 80% of the work. Not if everybody's using their gifts. This doesn't happen. What is yours? I want to give you two temptations, an application if you're an extrovert. I know they're in short supply here. I pray for more of them. I love my extrovert brothers and sisters, although I am not one of them. I love them. they, They forge the... The, knock the trees down. I'll, but here, can I give you an exhort, just a caution between both, an exhortation of both. The, intro, the extrovert says this, I am a teacher. I'm an elder. I'm a worship leader. For sure. Get out of the way. Y'all other people just sit down. I got something to say. We used to have that happen. You ever have one? They come and grab the mic. Oh, that's so scary. Don't ever do that. <laughs> they grab the mic and they're going, what's going to happen? If that is you, if you're an extrovert, listen to me. If you can do it in your own strength, you better get to your knees and make sure it's submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You need to be submitted in your teaching. Every person that I ever met that gets up here and leads worship gets on their knees and struggles with this issue to say, God, I could teach and preach and lead worship in my own strength today, and I dare not do it. I dare not do it. Better a man who can't play a lick get up here and lead worship than someone to lead it in their own strength. This is the caution. If you do it, you do it in His. Here's what you need to plead for if you're the extrovert in the room. You need to plead for humility. That God would keep you humble. That you serve in your gift from your humility, not your extravagant talent. If you're an introvert, you're saying, praise the Lord, God will never call me to teach. I don't do this very often, but can I give you just a personal testimony as we close today? Reading God's Word one day, and I read this right here. For on the first Ezra 7, 9, and 10, for for on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the For the good hand of God was on him. For Ezra set in his heart to study the law of the Lord. To do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I can remember reading that for the first time. As an introvert who would have a panic attack to stand up on stage. My wife would get up there. I'd have a panic attack. I could start sweating. I remember reading that for the first time. And I cried out to God. I said, God, if you'll give me the ability to do that, I will do it. And you know what? I didn't have the ability to do it. 
This is my encouragement for you as an introvert. Don't you ever say God will never call you to do something. Because I stand up here today as an, as an extreme introvert who God put a call on him like. you got to do it by faith. I can remember, Christina will bear witness to it, standing up to teach for the first time and I did not have the ability to speak. I had it in there. Couldn't get it out. Up and down. You know, let's read the Bible. (laughs) Listen to me. This is what I brought this example up before. You know what that made me do? Went home. The Sunday was coming. I was going to have to teach again. Then poor people was going to have to listen to me again. And I pled with God. God, give me the gift to teach. I can't do it. And the people need to be fed. And you've called me to do it. I don't have the ability. God, would you give me the gift? Can I ask yourself the question? When is the last time on your knees you prayed to Jesus Christ with that kind of zeal? God, give me the gift to be able to serve your people. And I will do it till I die. You call me on. That's my encouragement for you today, brothers and sisters. Don't buy into any system that stops you from praying specifically to Jesus Christ to give you the gift that you need to do the work God's put in front of us. Pray for it. And by faith, He will give us that which He has promised. He's promised to do so. Let's pray together. God, as we have heard Your Word, God, we're going to gather here in a minute as those who a few of us are about to get on a plane and go to Honduras. And God, we we desperately need things, God. We don't know who's waiting to hear the gospel, God, but you do, Lord. We need your spirit, God. We, we, we need you. We got to go to work tomorrow. Some of us went to college for years. And we still think God sent us to college so that we can provide for our family. No, God, you sent us to our jobs to, to use our gifts. Oh, God, help us. We need you. We need your awareness today. Would you make us aware, not today, God, but would you make us aware in the morning how desperately we need you to do what you've called us to do in the places you are sending us to go. And God, we thank you so much that in the hard realities and the busy realities of everyday life, you gather your church together week by week where we could renew ourselves with your word and regain our perspective, Lord, and pray for each other and Proclaim the gospel to each other in God. So right now, this is what we desire to do. Is to end our time together, Lord, with just proclaiming the gospel to each other and declaring to you who you are. And so, Lord, we ask now that that you would receive our worship for the glory of your name. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our brother. And will be forever. His name is Jesus. Amen. Stand together.